be seated. You know, Aaron and I don't uh, discuss in way of planning our topics uh, from Sunday to Sunday. We do discuss the topics, but we don't plan together. But it's interesting to me that God would have us deal with two of the most um, important of the Old Testament covenantal signs on the same Sunday. If you were in the earlier service, um, or the earlier Bible study, we dealt with circumcision, its relation to baptism, and whether we should follow the method of, uh, of baptizing infants in reference to the covenant, or whether we should practice believers' baptism. That was an hour-long discussion. If you missed it, we have it on CD. If it's worth your, I believe it's worth your listen. But now we turn to the Sabbath. Because in Exodus 31, God says the sign of the covenant is the Sabbath. It's an interesting thing that He does there by relating the covenant to a day of rest. And I want to bring you a message today from John chapter 5, verses 9, second half of verse 9 through 18. And the title of it is, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Now that term is not given to us in this text in John 5, but that title is taken from Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says Himself, the Son of Man, referencing Himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. And so I want to talk about the Sabbath. We've been discussing John chapter 5, these paragraphs here, this uh, healing of the paralytic man at the uh, gate, the sheep gate there at uh, Bethesda. We talked about it, first of all, in a general outline so that we can make reference to the purpose of this miracle. Why did John choose to write this miracle in John chapter 5? We understand John did not write chronologically. In other words, he didn't take event after event after event. That he instead organized his material for one purpose. And he gives the purpose to us in John chapter 20 when he says, I write these things that you may believe in Him. That's the whole purpose of the book of John, that you would believe in Jesus and, de- and therefore be saved. That's John's whole purpose. So he orders his book, he structures it around seven signs and seven teachings. He leaves out a lot of information. He says that. If I wrote down everything Jesus did in His lifetime here on earth, books couldn't contain all that He did. So we, we can't say this is all He did. But what we might be able to say, and I would even say, is that John gives us the cliff notes. Don't you all like cliff notes? Especially when you were in American Lit class in college, and they said, read some terrible uh, work of, uh, or excuse me, high work of English literature that was hard to understand from back in the 17 or 1800s. And you would say, isn't there a Cliff Notes version of this? Now, I'm not suggesting that should be your attitude about Jesus Christ. But if that's your attitude, John is your book. John takes the Cliff Notes of Jesus' life. He says, if you don't know anything else about Jesus Christ... You need to know these seven things He did and these seven things He taught. Because if you know them, truly know them, in your heart and your mind, you will believe in Him. If you believe in Him, you will be saved. And I would argue if you're saved, you'll care about the volume of His life. And so then you might pick up some other study. But John's a great place to jump in and to understand the Gospel as we understand it from the writers of the New Testament. John therefore puts this miracle here in John 5. And I said the purpose was to glorify Jesus as God. That was the purpose. We see that in verse 18. This this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him. Because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, that's our subject of the day. But the overall subject, what they really had a trouble, struggle with, was that last statement. But He was even calling God His own Father making himself equal with God. What was the charge that the Jews brought against him in front of the the council that night in private? What was the charge? 
He's a blasphemer. Why is he a blasphemer? Because he claims that he's God. That's their charge. He would dare to call himself God. And we want him hung on a cross. We want him killed. We want him persecuted, beaten, and then killed because of this breaking of the law. You know, that's an interesting thing I want to bring out in the introduction to this message. The Pharisees, like many religious people in our day, religious people in this room, were ready to keep the finer points of the law. But they would not recognize the grace of God through the face and the person of Jesus Christ. The problem many times in our life, my life and your life, is we're ready to keep an observance of certain rituals and therefore to hold ourselves up as better than those who live around us. And at the same time, by doing that, we deny Jesus. We deny grace. And we deny the very power of the gospel. The Pharisees denied Christ and tried to keep the law. And so, we need to be careful. As we enter into this text, we see they were, they were very diligent to watch after the law. Two laws are being broken here. Jesus is breaking the commandment to keep the Sabbath. Jesus is breaking the first and second commandments which call man not to have an idol and not to have any other God before him except God. And so they believe he's in violation of two laws and they're going to begin to persecute him, we said, from this passage forward. There's no more friendly guy. There's no more treating Jesus like just a good teacher, really miraculous guy who wanders around like a nomad, heals some people, teaches some people some principles, important things. He's no longer a moral man in the Jews' eyes. From this day forward... He is a criminal in their eyes and deserves death. And their plot begins now and it doesn't end. Throughout his life, they seek to kill him on several occasions. You know, this idea here of the Sabbath, look in this John chapter 5, verse 9. It's important to me that John would write, Now that day was the Sabbath. It's important because... Notice, that's what the Pharisees want to attack Jesus about. They see the man carrying his cot, his bed, and they say, do you not realize you're in violation of the Sabbath? And he said, what? The man who told me to get up, take up my bed and walk, the man who made me able to walk, told me to carry it. That was his reply. And they said, well, who is this man? So they want to persecute whoever told him that. Legalism kills. Legalism kills at every level. Can you see the atrocious nature of legalism in this passage? A man who was paralyzed for 38 years walks up. And the Pharisees don't acknowledge that. They don't even say, man, I'm glad you got that healing. They don't even... Talk about the healing. What do they focus on? You're breaking the law. You're carrying your bed. Who told you to do it? We want to persecute that guy. We want to put him on trial. We want to rid ourselves of anyone who would break the law. Legalism kills. Legalism impairs the vision. It keeps us from being able to see the grace of God. Instead, we focus on the outward manifestations of righteousness apparent righteousness. And it's to our own doom. It's these same people that Jesus said they're whitewashed tombs. Pretty on the outside, cleaned up on the outside, dead and full of dead men's bones on the inside. Because of this kind of attitude. A man, think about it. A man is healed. 38 years he's been a paralytic. And their only concern is that he's carrying his straw cot That's their only concern. Not him, but the law. And so we have this question, did Jesus break the Sabbath? That's the question. Did did he break the Sabbath? If he breaks the Sabbath, as they're charging he did, then he's no longer fit to be our sacrifice. So don't write this off as some academic adventure that we're on today. If he broke the Sabbath, he's no longer fit to be our sacrifice. If He's not our sacrifice, we have no one in heaven. We have no one for salvation. He's as unrighteous as we are. 
So this is important. Did he break the Sabbath? Well, we don't think of the Sabbath so much anymore. You know, we live in a society that uh, doesn't think of the Sabbath all that much. In your mind or my mind, we might think that. But we still think about it. We live in a state, don't we, that observes what are known as blue laws. Right? Can't sell liquor on Sunday because we treat it as the Christian Sabbath, right? So we make it illegal to purchase liquor. Now, I'm not on the topic of purchasing, buying, selling liquor or saying, giving some kind of license here. But we do practice a form of legalism in that sense, of Sabbath worship. And so it's not so much that we don't have a Sabbath, we just don't necessarily talk so much in the terms of Sabbath, do we? How many of you were raised in a home where you weren't to work on Sunday? Uh, I, I came from a home, a mixed home, okay? A mixed background here. My dad, who is a godly man, um, took us to church, worshiped with us on Sundays. That was the pattern of his life. But I can recall times in my life, I don't know how many times, where he took up work on Sunday. He gathered a crop. I remember one year we had, he gathered crop on Sunday. I remember a year he planted the crop on Sunday. Uh, I remember working um, several years in, in my life on irrigation to keep a crop going. You know, he, had, he worked on Sunday. In that same family, his dad never worked on Sunday. Now, I don't mean he by practice didn't do it. I mean he never did. I can My earliest remembrance of my granddad on Sundays is we would go to his house to eat dinner after church. Now, my granddad hadn't been to church. My granddad's been at home observing the Sabbath, a day of rest. Now, on that Sabbath keeping, he was watching the NASCAR race, which was a, a, big, a big event at his house and is in my house. I, hey, I, I like to watch NASCAR. But he, he would not work and he would watch the race and eat dinner and take a nap. That was Sabbath to him. My dad and he got into a gigantic fight one time over this Sabbath issue. My granddad said, you call yourself a Christian and you work on Sunday sometimes. And my dad said, I'm a Christian because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, not because I keep a day. And my granddad said, my dad said, you weren't to work on Sunday, therefore you shouldn't work. It's against God. And my dad's response, respectfully as it could be, was, the Bible also calls us to worship the Lord, and you've never done that in my lifetime. So you violated every Sabbath. You can imagine the fireworks that went off. So one of the few times where, two, two other times I remember, they almost came to blows. And I was scared to death. And these two men meant a lot to me. But my granddad believed he was keeping the Sabbath. I want you to remember that as we go through the message. Try to understand what a Sabbath is. David Cadle and I were talking not long ago about our gardens. Now we planted pitiful gardens in the backyard. They're not much. Okay, you're not going to live off what we planted, especially David. <laughs> uh, but we planted those gardens. And I remember we were out there observing the garden on a Sunday afternoon, <clears throat> just kind of looking at things. And it brought up a conversation about one time. Now, this is the difference in two ways of being raised. One time when he picked a tomato on Sunday. And went by his granddad's house, Mr. Pitts. Now, some of you know Mr. Pitts and some of you don't know him. But he showed up with that tomato at Mr. Pitts' house, proud that he had a mature tomato. He thought granddad's going to pat him on the back. <laughs> and his granddad said, where'd you get that tomato? <laughs> he said, out of the garden. <laughs> he said, we won't pick on Sunday. And if you know Mr. Pitts, it was probably about that tone, you know. Real serious, but not loud. But he didn't stop there. He said, son, on Sunday, 
We don't fish. We don't hunt. We don't pick to make. We don't work. We worship the Lord. We go to worship. That's what we do on Sunday. I want you to remember that story as we go through this message. And I hope at the end, because on the surface you would think these two men, my granddad, David's granddad, had the same view. And I want to show you their views are diametrically opposed to one another. They're not the same. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And we should worship Him in spirit and truth, especially on what is known as the Lord's Day. Sunday, the first day of the week. I want you to remember that as we go through. Legalism kills. Grace has set us free. So how are we as Christians to treat the Sabbath? First of all, I would like for you to know, and I see in this principle here throughout Scripture and in this passage, Christians are not bound to legal observance of a Sabbath. You see that. Look there in verse 9. Now on that day, which was the Sabbath... It was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, remember Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath. He worked, in other words. So the Jews said to him, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And his answer was, the man who healed me, that man said, take, uh, said to me, take up your bed and walk. Jesus seems to be in violation of the Sabbath looking at it from the Jewish standpoint. But we need to understand what was the Jewish Sabbath? What's the background? What's it based on? It's based on the principle laid down in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, where the Bible says that after the creation of the sixth day, on the seventh day, the Lord God rested from all of His creation work. He rested that principle of resting exists in Genesis chapter 2, okay? It's very important we try to understand. In Genesis chapter 2, what does it mean that He rested? God didn't rest from all of His work. That's not what the passage says. He rested from His creation work. I would say to you, God was busy on the seventh day. He was very active. Had He not been very active, the garden would have fell immediately into disorder. And Adam and Eve's creation would have been insignificant because everything would have went out of creation. God was at work on that seventh day in every way He had been throughout eternity except creation work. That was finished on the sixth day. How do I know He was at work? Because Jesus says, right here in our passage, look there in John, look down at verse 17. My Father is working now and I am working. He implies that God is at work always, everywhere. God's never static. In a sense, He's never just sitting, doing nothing. God is always at work. In some fashion, in some form, He is at work. And so the principle of Genesis 2 is that He ceased from His creation work, not all work, just the creation work. Second, we see that the Jewish Sabbath, Sabbath was a shadow of Christ. Take, hold your place in John and turn with me to Exodus. It's very important that we see the basis of the Sabbath in the Jewish tradition, which they were accusing Jesus to be in violation. Exodus chapter 16. Look at verses 23 through 30. Well, 22, we'll say. Exodus sixteen twenty-two. on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you shall bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find in the field it in the field manna. You won't find it out there. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. 
And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, He gives you bread for two days. Remain, uh, remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, there is a shadow in this passage of the Sabbath that we find in Christ. I think it's important that we see that text because at this point in Genesis 16, the law has not been given. There is no Sabbath legally. In verse 16, in chapter 16, the people are being told to, for the first time to observe something they've never observed in their history. Matter of fact, if we look back just a couple of chapters, we see the journey of the people, and they actually do journey 20 miles on what would have been the Sabbath directly before their rest. So in a week's time, in seven days, they went from walking 20 miles in the desert to then God saying, now the bread is going to rain down, but it won't rain down on the seventh day. You rest on that day. It's a new, new observance. From the garden until Sinai, we do not see this in existence, in operation. People were not commanded to honor a Sabbath principle. And so the Jewish Sabbath is a shadow It's based on a principle in Genesis 2. It's not picked up again really until Exodus 20 when it's instituted as a law. In 20 verses 10 through 12. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. That Sabbath there is Saturday. And on it you shall not do any work. Okay? And we see that. And he he draws back a parallel, God does, to his work in the garden. I created the earth in six days. On the seventh day I rested. You shall rest on the Sabbath, on the seventh day. The Jewish Sabbath was based on Genesis 2. It was a shadow of what was to come. And in Exodus 20, excuse me, God lays down a law for His people. He confirms it throughout the Old Testament. One of the main passages of a Sabbath law is in Nehemiah 9. We see it there. When Nehemiah says uh, that we are to rest, to have a Sabbath in verses 13 through 14. So what can we see from this? The Jewish Sabbath was a sign to the people of Israel that the Lord protected them, provided for them, and fulfilled His Word. That's what it was. It was a sign. It was a picture. It was a shadow of God's faithfulness. To his people. Who was the Sabbath for? Who was the Sabbath intended for? For that answer, we hope you're still in the Old Testament, Exodus. We have to go to Exodus chapter 31. And we see nine times in five verses, God says that the Sabbath is for Israel. The Sabbath was instituted as a sign of God's promise that He fulfilled to His people. It was not a sign to the Babylonians, the Assyrians, or anyone else, the Ishmaelites. No one else in the history of the world observed the Sabbath at this point. No one. The Israelites alone observed Sabbath. And in Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 17, we hear the voice of God. You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. See that? For you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does not does any work on it, you, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall you, your work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath. Do you see the emphasis is Israel? Not all the world, just Israel. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day He rested and was refreshed. And He gave to Moses uh, when He had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with a finger, of God. 
And so we see in God's holy law, when He just passed it down to Moses at Sinai, that the Sabbath was for Israel. So that's the answer to the question, who was it for? No one else in the world at this time observed the Sabbath day of rest. Everyone worked seven days. Or worked whenever they chose to work. (laughs) I'm sure there were lazy people that didn't work any days in those countries. We see it there. There is no Sabbath before the Exodus, even for Israel. And after the Exodus, only the Jewish nation observed the Sabbath. So we've seen what was the Jewish, what was the Sabbath? It was a shadow of the promise of God that He would provide, protect, and fulfill His covenant. Well, who was it for? For the covenant people of God, Israel. How was the Sabbath perverted by the Jews? How was it perverted? Because in this passage in John 5, there's a perversion, isn't there? Would you agree with that? I hope so. Remember, if Jesus violated the Sabbath, He's in violation of the law of God. He's therefore no longer a substitute for our sin because He's a sinner and we have no hope. He did not violate the Sabbath. How do do we know this? Take your Bible and turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 12. Verses 1 through 8. While you're turning there, I've, I've read to you major passages about the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath for the Jewish nation. But me and Miss Curry were speaking before the service. We like outward signs as people. We love it. We crave it. God calls them idolatry, outward signs. We like to call them practicing righteousness. And that's what the Jews did between the giving of the law until Jesus. They built an outward law to protect the Sabbath. They went far beyond what God had said They created a man-made law to protect the people. And this is the way the law went. It's really comical reading if you go and read about the Jews and the way they kept the law, the rabbis, as they wrote on it. This was was one rule, just, just so you get a picture of how legalistic they became. It was unlawful to bear burdens. Well, what is a burden, the rabbi would ask? A burden is a, and, and the one question was, is a handkerchief, a, a scarf, is it a, is it a burden? And the Jewish rabbi said, if you carry it in your hand, it's a burden. You're therefore in violation of the Sabbath. But if you take it out of your container and place it on your body and then walk downstairs and place it in the, in the place you want to go, it's not a burden. If I carry it in my hand, it's a burden. If I put it on my head, it's not a burden. You can't walk over a thousand feet from your home on the Sabbath. That became their law. That sounds real good, doesn't it? Pious people, right? Well, no, because if they wanted to go somewhere on the Sabbath, what they would do on Friday is they would station at particular thousand foot intervals food. Food? I thought it said your home. Well, because the rabbis reasoned that we weren't to walk or journey because that would be exerting effort and breaking the Sabbath. But if we eat a meal at 999 feet, we've now established our abode. And we can now travel another 999 feet from our original starting point and eat another meal. And then we can go another 900 feet. And if you follow this reasoning, you could go all the way across the nation, right? As long as you stop at 999 feet and eat something. It's now your home and you can travel. Did God lay that kind of foolishness down as law? Or did man lay it down? Man laid it down. They actually said if you tie a garment or a rope across the road at a thousand feet, you could travel to that rope, stand by it, and it becomes your abode, your home, and now you can travel another thousand feet. Is this not foolish? I mean, really, let's think about it. Legalism's foolish, isn't it? It sounds real foolish when we look at their legalism, but we have legalistic approaches to life also, don't we? 
And we don't like people messing with our legalism. We actually act a lot like the Pharisees when people start stepping on our customs and our traditions. And Jesus was in disregard of their customs and traditions. He wanted to follow the will of His Father. To obey a Sabbath. Matthew chapter 12, I hope you turn there. Verse 1, at that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to Him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read that David did when, what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless for the Son of Man And there's the title of our message, is the Lord of the Sabbath. How was the Sabbath perverted? It became a legal institution, which is not what God intended. That's not what He ever wanted. What did He desire? He desired, it seems, mercy and not sacrifice. He desired worship and not legalism. He desired that they honor Him in their actions particularly on this seventh day, and not to go about their daily life in disregard of Him. Jesus says here in this passage, is very significant, that David and his men ate the bread of the presence. And they did. And we find that story in the Old Testament. When David and his men broke into the temple and ate the, presence, the bread of presence, because Absalom was hunting them down like wild animals to kill them. David's son was in rebellion against the anointed of God. And David went in and broke the Sabbath. He broke the Sabbath. He broke the command not to enter the temple because he wasn't a priest. So was David in violation? No. Why? Because the point God had for David was not that he not eat bread or not that he not work on the Sabbath, but that he follow the Lord in mercy and he follow the Lord as the anointed. Jesus did the same with His disciples here. Again, the Pharisees have disregarded the point of God in His law, which is grace, and they have instituted man-made laws. The Jews saw the Sabbath as a way of pleasing God and gaining grace, and Jesus says God's purpose for the Sabbath is that you honor Him And that you worship Him and that you give mercy as He gives mercy. That was the point of the Sabbath really throughout time. Christians are not bound to a legal observance of the Sabbath because the Sabbath was for the Jews. It was a shadow. It was simply a picture of what was to come in Christ. So, Christians are free to celebrate Christ in this age. We're free. The Sabbath has ended. If you look in Colossians chapter 2, we see this. Aaron was here this morning in this passage during Sunday school. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him, in Christ. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The Sabbath was for the Jews until the day of Christ that they might look for their Messiah. They missed it. They missed the Sabbath. It was Jesus. They kept the law and disregarded the law maker and the law keeper. And we do the same often in our traditions. Paul says here, it's been put away. There's no need for a shadow because we have the real thing. The observance of the Sabbath is 
a return to the law. In Galatians 4, 8 through 11, he says, if you keep these festivals, if you keep these days of Sabbath, you are returning to the law and the oppression that is there. And you have fallen from grace, Paul says. So what is the Christian to do? He is to celebrate Christ every day and especially on the Lord's Day. We see this principle in the New Testament of celebrating Christ. That becomes the picture of the Sabbath. Romans 14, 5 through 12. Paul says one man observes all days the same and another man observes the day, the Sabbath. But he refuses to judge which one is right and wrong. He doesn't say either is right or wrong. What Paul says in Romans 14 is, that if a man observes a Sabbath unto the Lord, it's a good thing. And if a man observes every day the same as unto the Lord, it's a good thing. He equates with Romans 14, really Romans 12, 1. Our whole life is a living sacrifice laid on the altar of God and in complete submission to Him. So Monday through Sunday, or Sunday through Saturday, should look the exact same in many ways. All of them are days of worship. All of them are days of service to the Lord. All of them are days of activity, which is in His name. And if a man makes the decision by conscience in the Scripture that he sets Sunday aside as his time of worship, good. Paul says, good. No need to get trivial with him and fuss with him about it. Let him do it. But if you do observe every day the same, good. The Sabbath is Christ. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. And in Him, we're free to celebrate every day. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, show us the picture of how the new Jewish Christians celebrated Christ every day with great joy. They joined together as believers and they broke bread and ate together and worshipped Him, following the apostles' example. Every day became a day of celebration and worship. And God blessed that activity. God blessed it by adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts 20, verses 1-7, through Paul gathered on the first day with believers... And there, and as a matter of fact, he, if we want to keep his principle, he gathered on the first day of the week, which would have been Sunday, and he stayed till midnight. <laughs> so if we want to keep that as legal, Paul, Paul did it till midnight. He, he observed it from beginning of Sabbath till the end of Sabbath. They taught the Word all day. And I don't see anybody voting for that. So we need to be careful with our legal requirements. Activity, activity is involved with the celebration of Christ and expectation is required in worship. Activity, not inactivity. My granddad was in violation of the Sabbath, has been for years. Because his observance of the Sabbath is inactivity. Sitting, doing nothing to honor God. He's in violation of a greater principle, really, and that is that he doesn't love mercy. He's in a greater violation, and that is he doesn't honor the Lord with his life. And so on the outside, he looks like a very pious man, very righteous. He's keeping that day. He looks different. But on the inside, he's no different than those who break or work every day. He doesn't honor God. So what sets him apart from Mr. Pitts? Well, Mr. Pitts, in his mind, had made the decision by conscience to worship Christ on Sundays and do nothing else as far as not to do any work on that day, to keep it special as a day of worship and activity. If you would have known, Mr. Pitts, Sunday wasn't a day of sitting around. Right, Donna? He didn't just sit around. He worked in the name of the Lord on that day. He was a testimony of the love of God 
and the grace available through Jesus Christ. He shared the name of Christ with those who were around him. He worked for years in Sunday school as a teacher and a superintendent of Sunday school. Every, all of that would have been in violation to a legal Sabbath. None of it is in violation to God's Sabbath because all that he did that day was set apart to God. Everything he did, everything he did was in, in honor of God and Christ on that day. And so we see these two men, these two elderly men from a generation that was very strict on a Sabbath observance. And it played out very different in their life. It played out very different because one was saved and one was not. And so we have to understand that the Sabbath in our day is worship of Christ. I believe it's best done on Sunday, the first day, the Lord's Day. It's interesting. Most of what I've learned about the Sabbath, I learned from Lewis Sperry Schaefer, who wrote a little book called Grace. And in that book, he deals with the Sabbath and I didn't go into everything he did, but it's a powerful book if you have the opportunity to read it. He says, everything done in action on that day, Sunday, the Lord's Day, is committed to the Lord. It's in honor of the Lord. It's done by the grace of the Lord. Everything. Which makes it a real celebration. And so I want to conclude with these applications. We've looked at the Jewish Sabbath. We've looked at a Christian principle of honoring the Lord. Whether it's in one day or all the days the same, we've looked at a Christian principle here that is drawn by Jesus in John 5 because He was honoring the Father with what He did. When He healed the man, He healed him in the name of the Father, by the will of the Father, to the glory of the Father. So He was not in violation of the Sabbath. What would we say then? How should we apply the Sabbath principle as Christians in this day, in this age? First of all, Christ is our Sabbath. I, I don't do as well as I should, but I do observe a Sabbath. It's not Sunday for me, but it is a Sabbath. And what I try to do on that Sabbath is to rest in the Lord. And you know, I did that at first very legally. And now I've done it as a, as a time of refreshing. And that rest is available every day. I want to leave you with this idea as an application. Christ is our Sabbath. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come unto me, all ye who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is the Christian application of the Sabbath? Christ is our Sabbath. Not a day, but a person. And so, I'm in violation of the Sabbath if my life isn't lived in dependence of Him, casting my burdens on Him, and taking His yoke upon me. The terminology Jesus uses there of yoke is the way they would have looked at the law. And He says, take my yoke upon you because it's light. It's easy. He is our Sabbath. I'm in violation of this principle of the Sabbath when I don't depend on Christ for my finances. Believing that I must work an extreme amount to earn my, in, my upkeep and not depending on Him. I'm in violation of this when I don't depend on Christ in my family and the relationships I have there, believing that I've got to do everything to keep my family together instead of believing the grace of God is what, through Christ is what keeps my family unified and together. I'm in violation of the Sabbath principle in Christ when I share the gospel out of a means of a checkbox system which gains me righteousness instead of in His name sharing the gospel for His glory. Basically, I'm in violation of the Sabbath at every point that I don't follow 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, which says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord. Do it all to the glory and the name of the Lord. So our first take home today is that Christ is our Sabbath. Second, 
Christ should be celebrated with great joy, especially on the Lord's Day. Especially on the Lord's Day. Why do we call it the Lord's Day? Because it was on this day, the first day of the week, that He was raised from the dead, and every significant event in the early church happened on Sunday. Every one of them. His ascension to heaven. The first ascension. His opening the minds of the disciples on the road to Emmaus happened on Sunday. His coming down or leaving the second time at Pentecost was on Sunday, the first day of the week. The the baptism of the Spirit and the preaching of the gospel was done again on a Sunday. All of the significant events of the early church happened on Sunday. They picked up on it very quickly because they began to worship that way in Antioch and other places. We have to remember that looks like, well, it's trivial. No, these were Jews who had worshipped on the Sabbath every day of their life, every week of their life, until Christ was buried, raised from the dead, and then they immediately began to worship on Sunday in celebration of the Lord. So we see that we are to celebrate with great joy, especially on the Lord's day. Psalm 118 is a key verse to this understanding of the Sabbath. Psalm 118 Verse 20 says, This is the gate of the Lord. The righteousness shall enter through it. The righteous shall enter. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That reference is to Sunday. Why do I say that? Because Acts chapter 4, Peter says, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that was rejected by the builders. And standing before the Sanhedrin, he declares that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. He preached that sermon the first day of the week to the Sanhedrin. He made a direct correlation between Christ and the first day of the week. And he said, let us rejoice in our celebration on this day. No one can understand the Sabbath outside of Christ. Christ is our Sabbath. He is to be celebrated. No one should bind a man to legal requirements of observing a day or a season. The observance of the Lord's day is a matter of maturity and conscience, according to Romans 14. It's a matter of maturity and conscience. All believers will receive the ultimate fulfillment of the Sabbath in eternity through Christ. The eternal abode of the saints is pictured as a time of rest and peace like never before. The Sabbath, far from being a legal thing, a yoke that is hard to bear, is easy because it's found in Christ. I've I've thought a lot about my granddad as we close, just so you don't think I'm callous towards him. I pray on a daily basis that God save him because he's dead in his sins and his trespasses. And I was just like him at one point in my life. But by the grace of God, I've been saved. And I think about what is it in his life that is such a strong hold? What is it that keeps him from believing the gospel? We've shared the gospel with him my whole life. What is it? And even this week, I've had reconfirmed in my mind, it's his legal keeping of the legal requirement of the Sabbath that mainly keeps him from Christ. He believes he's righteous because he observes the law and therefore he is saved. So I want to give you this last application. Let's don't ever try to bind lost men with a Christian principle. I mentioned the blue laws earlier. You know why? I'm not arguing for the sale of alcohol and drunkenness and all those things. Y'all know me. But do you want to know something? I think we teach the wrong thing to the world with that kind of attitude. We really do. Because what we're saying is, Christian or not Christian, you've got to do like we do on the Sabbath. When we stand in a public square and argue for lost people to shut their businesses down on one day, Sunday, and go to church, that's not the point. It's really not. We should be careful when we bind people with law. They are not set free 
They can only be set free in Christ. We should also be careful in this application of binding people in their conscience. In other words, I believe Sunday is an important day, first day of the week, and I observe it that way. But if someone in here does not, it's not my role to convict you. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He does it in His time, in His way, for Christ's own glory. So you say, do we just disregard the Sabbath? No. We observe the Sabbath the only way it's ever been observed. Through the promise of the covenant. Remember Exodus 31 is the sign of my covenant to you. What is the covenant? That we shall be saved through Jesus Christ and Him alone. We observe the Sabbath. I hope you do. I observe the Sabbath. The question is, are you here today lost, standing in your own righteousness before a holy God, failing because you have kept the outward word and not the inner heart of a Christian? Are you, the question is, are you my granddad? There's a lot of that in this world. I ask you to think about that. Or are you free in Christ? More like Mr. Pitts, seeing Sunday as just a day to worship and be active in the Lord, set aside from your worldly pursuit, focused only on Him. That's a question only you can answer. I leave that with you, and I invite you, as we end this time, to ask questions. I invite you to pray. Seek the Lord. Because He will make it clear that the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, as we end and close this time, I know that this is a difficult subject. Some have never thought of it, now they think about it. Some have thought of it too much and now they're offended. And some agree with what's been said, but like me, they realize we, we violate this principle of a Sabbath. Lord, help us to understand. Don't allow us to have the scales that the, that the Jews have and have had for centuries over our eyes, the veil that keeps us from understanding You and understanding Your love and Your grace. Help us to realize that when we, Lord, are believers in You, that every day is a day for celebration and joy. And may we continue to join together for that specific purpose on this day, your day, the first day, the resurrection day, in your name and for your glory. Amen. Thank you for joining with us. If you do have questions, I'm available to you. I realize that...